Delhi to Dagenham, from the terraces to the armchair, it's an Arsenal Thing podcast. Football's in our DNA. It's an Arsenal Thing podcast. I'm your host, Tom, and your co-pilot for this episode is a man who is a figurehead of hush, the high priest of stillness, the man of a thousand muzzles, which sounds quite kinky. It's Silent Dave. How are you people? You're looking buoyant. Fresh from our disappointment at the hands of Liverpool, we faced Aston Vanilla on the edge of the universe at what, from the outside at least, looked like a giant bread factory in the heart of the Midlands. Um, It was a game of two halves, as the cliche goes. Dominant, nervy, baffling decisions and a bit of trench mentality. It had just about everything. 2,000 Premier League goals with a spanker from Saka in the first half. Only the third side to achieve this landmark behind Manchester United and Liverpool. I'm really enjoying the football the boys are playing at the moment, even when it doesn't always go our way. There's excitement, there's energy and ambition, not to mention the ability to see a game out. Someone who wasn't happy was Steven Gerrard, who got irritated by the observation of Des Kelly in a post-match interview about the gap between Villa and those above them. And it drew the response. I actually thought your questions would be a little bit better, in all honesty. Chant, please, Dave. It's all flooding back. Those were the days, eh? A scoreline that doesn't reflect the effort, possession and style of play. But who cares? Three points. Martin Keown has annoyed me. Yes, he has. When he was asked about the top four slot, he said, there's a lot of games to go. I still put Spurs as... What? I still put Spurs as favourites to make it into the top four. How dare you, sir? Go and wash your mouth out. Call yourself a gooner. Now, before we get going, forget planking. Tying, handcuffing yourself and cable tying yourself to a goalpost is all on trend. If you haven't done it yet, you're no one, are you? Having said that, have you seen these people? Not being rude, but underdeveloped isn't an exaggeration in this instance. Or to put it another way, a Chelsea supporter in the making. Are they still here? £2.50 for the whole lot. Sold! 
Three matches in seven days, it's not for the faint-hearted. When the going gets tough, the tough get going. And we're not even going to play the song. We are back to run the rule over Spanish Michael's Glorious Gunners against Aston Vanilla. We were promised energy by Spanish Michael, and that's exactly what we got. I'll be joined in the gun room by J.M. Mitch to chat about that match and the Liverpool game. Who was hot? Who was not? We'll be mulling over the performances and picking out the highlights from both encounters, all with our usual calm and balanced objectivity. We'll be covering the topics found on the cesspool known as social media and picking out the most outrageous comments, such as, who has let the club down this season, asked James. Bewildered and strange, James. Holding Lacazette, Cedric, Xhaka or another. What else? We'll be looking at the latest transfer rumours in six words or less, providing a brief musical interlude and answering your emails. Finally, Gabrielle Martinelli sings his own chant. Don't give up your day job, son. Don't forget, if you want to ask a question, say hi or feature on the podcast, send us an email. It's an Arsenal thing for at gmail.com. Just to let you know, our upcoming guests will be author John McNichol for the United game and for the end of the season game against Everton. We have author Paul McParlin in the gum room. Friends of the show and all round good eggs. Right, I just want to send our best wishes to Darren Stocks and his family who lost everything they own in a house fire recently. Um, the support they've received has been excellent, as you would imagine, and we just want to send our love and best wishes and hope that they get some good news and luck soon. In Arsenal news, the Gunners continue to be linked with Calvin Phillips and Yuri Tillemans, although it's unlikely that they will land both. Tillemans is said to be ready for a move, whereas Phillips is happy and settled. Tillemans' valuation is said to be around 49.5 million, but Leicester will try to increase that substantially. That's what they do, isn't it? Remember Harry Maguire's transfer. Phillips would cost around 36 million, but would be a solid addition to Arsenal's ranks. Those figures, according to transfermarket.co.uk. Others have Phillips closer to 60 million, which would be ridiculous in my opinion. Good player, but seriously, Saka is said to be only worth 58.5 million. So there's your yardstick. There are rumours of interest in Philip Coutinho. Again! But the blueprint at the Emirates is for younger and cheaper. Villa still look to be in that particular driving seat. Arsenal defender William Saliba has been called up to the France squad for their upcoming friendlies with the Ivory Coast and South Africa. What is it with these former gooners putting the boot in? Former Arsenal striker Alan Smith said Lacazette has been a good servant for the club, but you know his legs don't move quite as quickly as they once did. He was never quick, but obviously with a Bamiyang gone, that is an area where Arsenal are short. Now then, Trent Alexander-Arnold has a hamstring issue after chasing Gabby Martinelli's shadow all night at the Emirates on Wednesday. No scoffing, you lot. What a job it was like trying to catch a bus ticket in a hurricane. A blur. The Brazilian flash. While we're on the subject, Liverpool manager Clippity Klopp he preys on Martinelli, generating fears among the Gunners fan base that the German may try to tempt the striker away from the Emirates. Hand of egg! What, Dave? Oh, it means, uh, it means hands off in German. <laughs> I looked it up. <laughs> you know, I can't speak German. That's it. That's the extent of it. Elsewhere, Amari Hutchinson was rubbing shoulders with a football icon in the form of Neymar. 
No doubt Neymar passed on his considerable knowledge of keeping your hair nice for 90 minutes, perfecting the theatrical dive, the art of rolling around the majority of the turf, even if there wasn't a challenge, and constantly moaning at officials and colleagues. is essential stuff for the modern footballer. Moaning? Spanish Michael was at a whine about the fixtures, which prompted a pithy response from the lemon-headed, sour-faced, pocket-sized Italian at the toilet bowl. He was angry. What a press conference that was. Speaking on Friday, miserable Conte said, I only want to remind Arteta of the game we postponed, Tottenham versus Arsenal. OK, yes, if we speak about fair or unfair, OK, and I stop. In general, I think my answer is enough. OK, it is enough. If someone wants to speak about fair or unfair, we postponed a game, Tottenham v Arsenal, if you remember. I don't forget this, and I think it's not right to speak about fair or unfair. Did you get any of that? I mean, of course, hard to read, I tell you. Former Arsenal boss Arsene Wenger admits the club made a mistake in allowing Ashley Cole to leave the club for Chelsea in 2006. The Gunners lost their academy product to Jose Mourinho's then Premier League champions in exchange for £5 million and French centre-back William Gallus. <laughs> what an exchange. Uh, Wenger revealed he regrets losing the ex-England left-back because of the misunderstanding over a few thousand pounds. A few? Arsenal's offer was £55,000 a week, which is a lot, as opposed to... 90,000 a week. It's not a few thousand, is it? That was like swapping a Bugatti for a pair of roller skates or a steak for a ham sandwich. Um, right then, let's get on to the Villa game. The match facts. Arsenal have won 12 Premier League away games at Aston Villa. Only West Ham have won more on the road in the competition uh, with a total of 13. Arsenal have won their last four Premier League away games, having won just two of their first eight on the road this season, drawn one, lost five. The Gunners haven't won five consecutive away league games since May 2015. Aston Villa won their last Premier League home game 4-0 against Southampton and haven't won consecutive league matches at Villa Park within the same season since January 2021. Right, let's do the stats. Aston Villa, eight attempts on goal to Arsenal's 10. Uh, one on target for Aston Villa, three for Arsenal, 47% possession for the hosts, 53% for the visitors, 429 total passes by Villa, 514 for Arsenal, 84% passing accuracy for Villa, 87 for the Gooners, 249 passes in the opposition half for Aston Villa, 283 for Arsenal. It's time to enter the gun room for a natter. Hi, welcome to the gun room. I'm with Mitch. There's no Jay tonight. He's not very well. We don't know what's wrong with him, but we'll find out in due course and he'll be on the next one. Um, how are you, Mitch? You all right? I'm not too bad. Uh, thanks again for having me. Well, you're very welcome. Um, not one match tonight, but uh, two, Aston Villa and Liverpool. We'll talk mainly about Aston Villa because that's the one that got us four points in front of Ronaldo United, which is always nice. Um, but let's start with the Liverpool game. Uh, we were going and doing a great job against Liverpool on Wednesday, especially in the first half. Toe-to-toe, uh, -to -toe frustrating, uh, making things awkward and difficult. It was a below-par Liverpool, wasn't it? They just couldn't seem to get going. What did you make of it all? 
Uh, I think it was less so a below par Liverpool and more so we played really well. Like we we did a really good job, just like in the Man City game, of kind of playing the way we want to play. And uh, we did a really good job of it. Bar two moments uh, in the match, we were probably the better team on the day. Um, you know, Liverpool's just got that got that quality. They've got that experience. Um, you know, I, I don't think mo- most fans were expecting really anything to come out of the match uh, in, in our favor. It was like, there's a there's a chance. Maybe we'll get something out of it. Obviously, that didn't happen, but uh, far from uh, end of the world kind of thing to lose 2-0 to Liverpool. Uh, I think we put a pretty good performance in. Uh, nothing to hang our heads about. And we we moved on and bounced back pretty well against uh, Aston Villa in the weekend. Uh, we'll talk about that eight annoying minutes at uh, that collapse uh, in a minute. But what uh, in general were you pleased about from our performance? Uh, I think considering the circumstances, I think we played really well in terms of just like how we want to play. Like we didn't uh, just like completely change our system or uh, or shy away from playing out of the back. Uh, we, we did exactly what we want to be doing each match. Liverpool's really good at pressing, especially high. Uh, so it can be scary for a young team to potentially play out of the back. And that's what we do best. And that's what, that's, that's how we operate. And so it can be a little scary sometimes. And so sometimes there can be a, a little bit, bit of an, uh, inclination to, all right, let's just go long every time. Let, let's not keep possession because we don't want to lose in a dangerous area. Uh, whatever the case may be, but we did a really good job of con- uh, maintaining our identity and uh, and and playing really well r- regardless. I think Liverpool did a good job of like kind of knowing uh, our spots. Like they they man marked Odegaard and he was not able to get into the game much, which is unfortunate uh, because he's a player that can really uh, do a lot once he is given the freedom on the ball. And Liverpool knew that if they if they stopped him, they they started stopped a large part of our. Uh, of our attack going forward. Um, and they were right about it. Uh, it was unfortunate to see him not really get into the game that much. I don't think it was really on him as much as it was uh, Liverpool putting a lot of resources in to neutralize that right side that we've talked about a lot, uh, being really effective with, with Saka and Odegaard. Uh, I think for the most part, uh, like uh, Jacques and Party, I think, played really well. Uh, I think our defenders were, were pretty good, bar the, the, the goals. Um, Ramsdale had an off game, uh, and I think we found out in the weekend that it was due to injury, uh, where the last like 60 minutes of the Liverpool game, he wasn't himself. And then you can see that, uh, he gets beat near post in the first goal. And that as a goalkeeper, that's just like the last thing you want to have happen. Uh, and it was like a really slow reaction time. It's, it's not something we've seen very much from Ramsdale. Uh, so it was a little uncharacteristic there, but we saw that was from injury. Hopefully it's not too serious. Hopefully it'll be back after the international break. Uh, but, you know, not, not the great, greatest result, but uh, I, think we, I think we played how we want to play. Liverpool respects how we want to play. Uh, Klopp has, has given our players a lot of play, praise. He's given us a lot of praise. Um, I don't think he, they were ever going to go into this game being like, oh, it's just Arsenal. Uh, like, we've established ourselves as the fourth best team in the country, at least. Um, and... I think a lot of teams are respecting us as such, uh, especially Liverpool and especially Man City. I mean, I, I remember back in the Man City game, that we, there was like a screenshot of like five Man City players surrounding Bukayo Saka. Uh, like, we, we clearly have that respect. 
we we played a pretty good game. We want to be going toe to toe with them next year, and I think we I think we're we're heading in that direction. As you say, um, we lost this game in eight minutes. Um, that Jota goal was it a concentration lapse? Was it uh, effective pressing from them? Which one was it? Um, I mean, I think I mean, they're they're good at slipping those pretty, balls in. It? No, it was not. But it, like, I don't think it's necessarily on the uh, like the huge fault on our defense. Uh, I think Liverpool's really good at slipping those balls in behind. Jota's really good at getting in behind, especially against us. Um, biggest thing is against Ramsdale. Uh, to get beat near post is is really big. Um, so last thing you want is a goalkeeper, and I think it was due to the injury that he picked up somewhere in that match. Uh, his reaction time was clearly slower uh, to be able to not get there because that's a that's a shot he saves uh, eight out of ten times. Uh, and he I'm wondering that. if he had problems before that because his distribution so. wasn't as brilliant as it normally is. He was kind of passing out from the back a lot. Normally he kicks the ball upfield, doesn't he? Uh, I was just wondering that a couple of games back. But no disrespect. I mean, you know, he's a fantastic keeper and it's just For one sure. of those things. It, you know, strikers suffer when they don't score goals. Goalkeepers suffer when they let the ball in. Let's go to that second goal. That was another clumsy eye. I varnish, wasn't it? Um, Firmino, similar laps. Uh, take us hand by hand and steer us through it, Mitch. Uh, so I, Ugly as it was. I remember, uh, I, I think after the match, I called out a couple of players that I thought had pretty good performances. And uh, Cedric was one of them, right? Because like, I feel like uh, everyone was like, kind of like, oh no, Cedric against Diaz is going to be like awful. He's going to get cooked. Uh, and I think he had a pretty good game for the most part. Uh, I missed his involvement in the second goal and he, he completely missed his mark. And, um, I, I think this was a really good goal by Liverpool. Firmino does a really, is really, really good of, of, uh, getting those quick runs into the box, getting his body in front of defenders, uh, to score. He did a great job of it there. Um, I don't think it's anything that our defenders necessarily did wrong other than Cedric of letting that, uh, that run get in behind uh, to put that ball in. Uh, but, you know, this just shows Liverpool's quality. They've got, uh, especially with the Luis Diaz signing in January, they've just got quality all over the attack. Uh, with the fact that they benched, the solid didn't even start, and they were still just as effective before he came on as they were after, uh, shows just how deep they are in a lot of areas. Uh, so, you know, uh, like I said earlier, Solid performance by us, but we want to be to go and toe to toe with them next season, and I, I think we're heading that direction. They're quite good left and right as well, aren't they? Because they've got Trent Alexander-Arnold uh, on the right, and then they've got Robertson on the left. Uh, yeah, and about those two, I think Martinelli and Saka did a great job of like causing a lot of issues going forward to where Trent and Robertson weren't really able to get that involved in the match. Uh, I, th- I think that was substantial and uh definitely something to that i noticed out of the game is is they weren't able to make as much of an impact uh offensively because they had so much to deal with going uh going back because of Saka and martinelli's uh just threat going forward and then also their work rates going back to be able to track back um so i mean good performances by the two of them i, I trent got cooked a couple times by martinelli and that was fun to see <laughs> i thought he's gonna really explode he was getting yeah. pegged back, wasn't he? Um, yeah. That second goal was uh, 
if we say Ramsdale was the error for the first goal, Saka was responsible for the second, wasn't he, really? Should have just put the ball out, but he thought he could get hold of it. And then uh, Robertson just whipped up, nicked it off his toe type of thing and put that ball in. Really sharp, low, evil-looking cross. And uh, yeah. as you say, Ramsdale, slow to get down again. But the defence were, were caught static in a line. They They just didn't respond quick enough. They didn't yeah, I didn't see Firmino coming in, and uh, credit to him, it made a really nice run there and really uh, quality finish from that range. I mean, it's a short range, but it's still tough to do to get get in that angle and to to get your foot on the ball to to redirect it into the net. Uh, takes real skill; he's good at that, and uh, it's a credit to him more than anything. I, the The defense probably could have been more prepared for it. Saka could have probably. Uh, been a little safer with the ball, but uh, I don't think there's that much you could do on that goal other than to just, you know, Liverpool's quality showed itself there. Yeah, it's it's kind of annoying, isn't it? Because it's two sucker punches. They weren't like amazing goals or anything like that. They were kind of routine things that we should have seen off. And we've done so well. That first yeah. half, we we really contained them. We really pinned them back and they didn't know what to do with us, really. Um, is this another example of our lack of penetration on this occasion? Fashioning some chances, unable to capitalise. Um, Saka and Martinelli were a constant thorn in Liverpool's arse, weren't they? And uh, as you say, Trent Alexander-Arnold had a dickens of a time. So much so, he's got a hamstring injury. Um, <laughs> by the time the, uh, the subs came on, it was virtually... Done and dusted, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, we we didn't really have a chance after the second goal. Uh, it, it was it was pretty much over from there. Uh, I don't think it's anything against our team's mentality or anything. I think they kept pushing the entire game, but it just wasn't there for us that night. Uh, I think we had a, we had a couple decent chances early on. Uh, I think the biggest one would be the Martinelli like nutmeg on uh, on Henderson. Uh, to get to the byline and he put a nice ball in, but no one was there. Uh, and it was very like almost similar to Liverpool's second goal where a low cross gets put in and they have a quality finisher like Firmino, who's going to go at that and score. Um, and Lacazette wasn't there to, to do that. Um, so, you know, I think that's one of the biggest things. Uh, Lacazette's obvious, the striker position is obviously something that we've talked a lot about uh, of, of uh, improving in the summer. Uh, and, you know, there's there's definitely uh, holes in Lacazette's game. And that is one of them uh, when it comes to to finding those balls in, in, in the box. And uh, it, it definitely hurt us last week. Uh, but I, I don't think it's anything, again, not the end of the world that we lost. Um, ben White and Gabriel played well. Uh, Martinelli, Saka. Who was your man of the match out of that lot? Uh... I think I think my favorite performers were were Party and Jaka um, uh, and Martinelli. Um, I, I think I think Party and Jaka both controlled the game really nicely. Uh, I think Jaka dropped a little bit deeper into that double pivot role that we've seen a lot with the four two three one, a little bit more than usual, uh, which I think you know just comes with playing against Liverpool. You're on the back foot a little bit more often. Uh, Martinelli was had a lot of energy on that left wing. I, I really liked what I saw from him. But Party's just really good at controlling the game and evading pressure. And um, 
He's coming on into the ball. his own now, Mitch, isn't he? He's, oh, for he's sure. To look the player that we all thought he was. This this entire calendar year, he has looked like the fifty million pound player we bought from Atletico Madrid. He's really, really growing into that six role, and uh, him, Xhaka, and Odegaard are all clicking at the same time. And that's going to be really, really key from here to the end of the season. If we can keep all of them healthy and all of them clicking, uh, that's huge for just the entire tempo of our team. Uh, and if that is the case, we keep all of them healthy, keep all of them uh, clicking towards the end of the season, we're going to make top four. It's kind of odd because Party has got a lot better since he got sent off. Um, we can't always <laughs> say the same for Mr. Xhaka. But so well, I think we can say the game. same for Xhaka. I think that's the cycle. I think he like gets sent off comes back, plays great, he, everything's fine, and then he gets sent off again, and everyone hates him, wants to sell him, and then he comes back, plays well again. Everyone's like, oh, right, Jack is really good, and then he gets sent off again. So I'm like, cross my fingers that the cycle breaks because I feel like we're gearing up towards a Jacques red card in the next couple games. <laughs> <laughs> he's, um, he's kind of gone under the radar, hasn't he? This new advanced position, uh, it's all yeah. well with party. And uh, the hate campaign against Xhaka, I'm, I'm not very complimentary about him sometimes. It gets on the nerves and it's that rush of blood, isn't it? It's to the head that he just gets sent off or picks up stupid yellow cards. But he's I think really he's been, under the radar. He's been one of our best players this entire month. I think he's a serious contender for player of the month because I just realized we have no more matches in March. So we can like have this kind of conversation of who is your player of the month for March. And I think Xhaka has a very strong case for it. Um, I, I think there, there was rightfully a lot of criticism with uh, him looking a little static in that left eight role, uh, but I think he's grown into a little bit. He plays a little bit more advanced when he plays for Switzerland as well. Um, and, you know, some of these these balls that he's playing into space have been really, really effective. And uh, he's been a really, really solid player uh, over the last, I mean, Ever since he's come back from injury, ever since the Everton game, he's been really, really solid. Other than like the red card against Liverpool in the Carabao Cup, uh, but uh, I, I mean, he's been—he uh, has a very strong case to be Player of the Month. Honestly, I think he's been quality in every single match we've played this month. Incidentally, my uh, man of the match for that match was uh, Martinelli. Uh, I can't blame you for that. Bundles and bundles of energy. He looked a real uh, force to be reckoned with. He was hot on his feet. Uh, people didn't know what to do with him, and he, he's going to be a hell of a player. We're going to do a profile on him a bit later on. I know you've got plenty mm-hmm. to say about that Newcastle goal, so we'll pick up yeah. on that. Um, on to the Villa game. Uh, starting eleven: Bernd Leno, uh, Gabriel, Ben White, Cedric Suarez, Kieran Tierney, Thomas Partey, Martin Odegaard, uh, Granite Xhaka, bless him, uh, Lacazette, Saka, and Smith Rowe. Were you happy with that lineup? Yeah, I mean, uh, it was a bit of a surprise. There was reports that came out like the night before and uh, like right before the match that Ramsdale had picked up that injury. Uh, so there was a lot of like speculation of like if people saw him going with the team on the bus and it's like, oh, I think Ramsdale's probably healthy. I think we're good. Um, and then Leno was a, announces the starter. And I think uh, a lot of fear swept over a lot of fans. Um, although I, I think he kind of proved that it was a little bit unwarranted. Uh, that while Leno, I don't think matches our system as well as Ramsdale does. Um, and Ramsdale is phenomenal at everything he does, especially in our system. Uh, but, uh, Leno is far from a poor backup goalkeeper. Uh, I, I would make an argument that he's probably the best 
a backup goalkeeper in the Premier League because he could be starting for half the teams. Uh, he's an excellent shot stopper. Uh, I think we saw a little bit of those limitations uh, in the match with his distribution. He hit a lot of like long balls just out of bounds. And it's like, that's not what we really want. Um, and like the back line kind of uh, ignored him in buildup, which was interesting. Uh, so, you know, you saw those limitations a little bit uh, of, of the drop off in certain areas. Uh, but it was far the, from the end of the world that Leno was starting. Uh, and then Martinelli had that illness. So Smith Rowe came in and, uh, you know, it's always great to have Smith Rowe into the side. Uh, he was tremendous against Villa. He didn't, he didn't contribute to any goals or assists, but he, he is just so good, uh, at finding space on the left. Um, I, I'm sure you saw the clip on Twitter of him receiving the ball, passing it inside and then juking, going down the line and then cutting back in and Matty Cash just fell on his ass. Um, and it was just like, Oh, okay. So it's yeah. nice to say. <laughs> like you can just juke a player without the ball. That's phenomenal. Um, so, you know, uh, some surprises in the lineup for sure, because we saw some, we had some changes last minute, uh, due to illness and injury. Uh, but nothing to be terrified about, you know. I think the, the thing with Leno, f- from my point of view, is that he doesn't have a physical presence in the box. Yep. Uh, hark back to when we played Brentford and that player yeah, lost his arm. Sure. Uh, you wouldn't get any of that with Ramsdale. And that's what worries me. Great shot stopper, as you say. Uh, and he's a decent goalkeeper, more than decent. But uh, mm. he, he is found wanting. When it gets physical, I don't think he's up for it. But uh, anyway, let's move on. Uh, let's get to the match. My notes say here, uh, relentless onslaught. And to be honest, we should have buried him in the first half. Uh, thoughts on that first half? What It was electric, wasn't it? And I've got to just hit the mic, turn it around. Big up the old Arsenal away supporters. They were amazing. Oh, yeah. What a noise. Fantastic. Yeah, we saw like after the match too, there was just so many Arsenal fans staying there to, to celebrate the win. Uh, yeah, really, really solid first half. Uh, Villa had zero shots. Uh, we controlled the game. Uh, we, we absolutely could have had more. I, I, soccer's goal was really, really nice, uh, to be able to hit that half volley. And, uh, that's a tough save to try to make for, for Martinez with all, all the bodies in the box from, from that free kick. Uh, so really, really nice goal from Bukayo Saka. Uh, and yeah, we were, we were totally unlucky not to get more, but like in an away match like that, if you get your one goal, like you're going to be happy with that. Uh, the, I, I wrote a thread yesterday about, uh, the difference of ways that Arsenal has killed off matches in the last, uh, couple. Uh, I think we saw very different ways of killing off matches in the Leicester game and now in the Villa game. Uh, I think we saw similar things, uh, in the Leicester game. It primarily was just us passing the ball around them, keeping possession, controlling the entire game. And we did a good amount of that. Like we had that, we had a really, really good buildup sequence that led up to Lacazette having uh, a decent chance that he could have played uh, like Odegaard into the right, could have played uh, probably Smith Rowe, I think, to the left. Uh, and he chose to take it himself and kind of just got blocked. Um, so we, we showed our quality to be able to, in a, in a solid Aston Villa side, be able to control possession and, uh, and take the ball forward. Uh, but at the end of the game, we, we, we closed it out using a different method of bringing Rob holding on, uh, switching into that five, two, three, uh, sitting into that, that block 
and it was a really, really effective. Uh, Rob Holding's been subbed on six times uh, this season. Uh, he's conceded. There's been one goal conceded when he's been on the pitch. It was Rodri's last minute winner against Manchester City. Uh, he's been really, it's been really, really effective to bring him on late in matches uh, when we don't control possession as well and have him sit in the middle of a back three, which he's really good at. Uh, I think Rob Holding is one of the most effective back three center backs uh, there is right now in, in the Premier League. Uh, and so to bring him in, in between White and Gabrielle, set up this block, uh, that Arsenal's really effective in defending in, uh, and just to, to close out a, a close win away, I think is a really, really, uh, unique way that we can win matches. Uh, as opposed, and, and it's not, we're not that one trick pony. We're not like, okay, we're going to play how we're going to play no matter what. It's like, okay, well, we're going to, based on game state, based on the situation, based on, uh, Aston Villa just brought on Danny Yanks. He's, he's quick. He can very easily score. Uh, let's not try to control possession. Let's not try to play out of the back. Um, let's set up this block and let's grind this game out. And that's exactly what we did. Uh, so really cool to see a different way that we can, that we can kill matches after taking a lead. Uh, and, uh, a really, really effective job by the entire team. I'll tell you what, there's, um, you mentioned about Rob Holding. Uh, there was a, an article in the Daily Telegraph. Uh, it's by Sam Dean. He, he's came up with uh, an interesting point about Rob Holding when he wrote, if parking the bus, as it's become known, then Holding is unmistakably the team's driver. Uh, pointing out that his introduction and performance against Wolves, uh, that he's the go-to defensive option in a tight spot, just like you said. Uh, it's, yeah. a, it's a good one to have. Um, let's get back to my my favourite moment from the match. It's a standout moment for me. Um, it started on the left with Smith Rowe. It went to Xhaka, who did a back heel. Smith Rowe out wide to Saka. Yet again, beautiful interplay with Odegaard. Uh, and Odegaard squeezed it through two players. He was virtually on their shoulder. There wasn't a gap, but he made one. And there was a wicked Saka cross. And if only ESR and Lacazette had sort of called the ball, that would have probably been goal of the season. It was yeah. a superb play. Is that now part of our DNA, that type of football, that style of play? It's so exciting. Yeah, it's, it's re- we've seen so many different interchanges like this uh, over the last, uh, this, this last season. We've been really, really, really good at that. Um, it's really cool to see this attacking presence uh, come into its own for Arsenal. Um, I think the biggest criticism of Arteta for a long time was with very rigid rigidness uh, or seeming rigidness in a lot of players' roles when it's come to attack. And I think we're seeing the fluidity finally coming in. Uh, I think Odegaard's been a big part of that, obviously. Uh, but also Smith-Rowe and Saka having a lot of freedom to shift in and out within the half spaces and the wide areas. Uh Jaka was a part of that with a nice back heel. Um, and if he gets that kind of technical quality as that high eight, uh, I, there's not a lot that, that, that can stop this. Kind you know of what? I had, low, to look. I had to look at that twice and see who it was. Yeah. I had to rewind it. I was like, Jaka, what's he doing there? What's he doing, doing back heels? Who does he think <sighs> he is? Messi? <laughs> Great but story. it's really awesome to see this kind of fluidity in our attack and it, it always leads to just beautiful goals when we can execute on it. It's it's just the pace of the football. It's one touch. Uh, there's a, there's a lot of movement. The movement is absolutely superb. 
Um, let's get to that uh, Saka goal after 30 minutes. Um, give us a little walkthrough of that in, in a little bit more detail. I know it was a bit ping pong, wasn't it? It kind of ricocheted around yeah. the box. Uh, it was a nice ball from Saka to uh, like right at the mom- right moment to let Cedric in where he was on sides. Uh, a nice ball in from Cedric, uh, just kind of bounces around. Uh, Saka did a nice job of peeling off after, after putting in Cedric into the box, um, and ends up at the top of the 18, is able to put that half volley in, in between all the players, and Martinez doesn't see it. Uh, and it, it was a really, really nice goal. Good. Uh, a really funny <laughs> celebration. Uh, and, <laughs> Martinez. Uh, really, Who, who's he? <laughs> Leno's really quality video. stuff. Yeah. Really, it was funny that we beat Martinez with both Leno and Ramsdale in goal this season. Um, like that, that's got to be just kind of a slap in the face, right? <laughs> it's, it's just the incessant whinging. You know, um, he was at Arsenal. He could have fought for his place with Leno. He decided not to. And if you look, Ramsdale came in, fought for his place and took his place. So, yeah. I, I, I think that, like, I really want to root for Emmy Martinez because I love Emmy Martinez. Um, like, we wouldn't have won the FA Cup without him. He was a really, really quality player when, when Leno stepped in. Uh, but, like, I totally understand from his perspective of wanting to leave and go get game time and choosing to go to Aston Villa to do that. I, I totally get for his career. I mean, he, he sat on the bench for so long at Arsenal. I don't blame him for not wanting to like maybe have to do that again if he wasn't, if he didn't win the starting job. Uh, so I completely understand him doing that. I haven't loved his, uh, I, it's calmed down a lot now. I think it was, especially in like the first year, he talked about Arsenal a lot and it really was annoying. It was like, I, I really want it like, like there, there are so many players that will leave Arsenal and I would love if our fan base would unite around them and root for them. Like a lot of them have like Callum Chambers, every time he does something cool. I mean, I'm a huge Callum Chambers fan, so I'm always going to be hyped when Callum Chambers does cool stuff. But like all Arsenal fans are like hyped about Callum Chambers doing cool stuff and not being like, why didn't we sell him? Arteta's terrible. Um, and like with like Emmy Martinez, it kind of makes him hard to root for because I'd love to root for him. Uh, if he keeps talking about Arsenal, luckily I think that's died down a little bit. Uh, but like, you know, it, it hurts a little bit. <laughs> See, I can appreciate his saves when they're not against us. I quite like yeah. his saves. He can get as spectacular he's, he's, as he likes. He's got some real like cockiness to him. Like, uh, to like, I, during Copa America during the summer, he had, he had some really funny stuff that he was doing during penalty shootouts. Uh, and it was fantastic. Uh, so fun to root for him for that. <laughs> yeah, he's, uh, you know, don't get me wrong. He's an excellent guy and he's massive. He just fills mm. that goal out. That's that's what yeah. I noticed about him was uh, I think he gave confidence to the back four as well. Let's get back to Saka. Um, he's coming up for a contract renewal. Apparently they're talking about um, giving him a new deal. They better do. Um, how good is this guy going to be? What's so impressive about Saka for you? Uh, I think I've, I, I think we're past the point of talking about how good is Bukayo Saka going to be. I think we are talking. We need to be talking about how good Bukayo Saka is right now. Uh, he's 20 years old. Uh, he's younger than me, which is crazy uh, because there aren't a lot of professional players that are younger than me. Uh, <laughs> and he is just on another level. Like 
he's uh, I, I think there's a very real argument you can make right now that he is the second best right winger in the Premier League. Very real argument uh, that he is he's the next man behind Mohamed Salah of being the second best at that position. Uh, he is just so effective uh, on the right majority of the time before this kind of like Odegaard playing as that in that half space, he was holding down the right wing on his own and doing a really, really good job of it. Uh, he's able to attack in a lot of different ways. I, I think the biggest difference to him and Nicolas Pepe is uh, just differentiation in, in his game. Uh, I don't think you're seeing like the same goal over and over. Like you kind of do with Pepe, like you kind of expect Pepe to run go to the 18, cut across and take a shot with his left foot and try to hit that top corner. Uh, and with Saka, there's just so much differentiation to his game where he can totally do that because he has a very strong left foot. But he's also got like a really nice cross on his right foot. Um, and this kind of two-footedness is is really, really uh, adds a level to his game that's just so effective. Uh, I, he's He's got to be England's best right winger right now. I, 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 which you know is what, Mitch, I think it's his lack of fear. He doesn't care who he comes up against. He's uh, direct. Uh, he's willing to take people on. And, uh, you know, it's that, it's that thing. When you're young, you, you're either full of it, uh, you know, uh, confidence and you want to do that type of thing, or you get a bit scared and intimidated by the opposition. He, he doesn't do that. He's not intimidated by anyone. Yeah, and and as a result of that, you see him getting hacked a little bit, which is not great to see. Uh, he's not protected in the same way that I feel like a lot of other Premier League stars are, uh, because he his direct way of playing uh, leads him to get have these kind of close run-ins with defenders, and a lot of times they're just kicking him. Uh, and so he he mentioned something to like the referee at halftime, and then so he was asked about it after the game, and it's like, yeah, that's how he plays. He's like, yeah, I, pl- I play direct and I need some level of protection from the referees if they're just going to kick me. Um, and yeah, that's completely fair. Gerard had an interesting thing to say about that for sure. Um, but uh, with sound Gerard, like Ger- Gerard going with the like frat boy strategy when it comes to hazing of being like, well, I experienced it, so you have to too. And it's just like, that's not how things should work. Um, so, I mean, going back to Saka, just a fantastic player. I'm so excited to hear reports, uh, from the athletic that we are, uh, looking to extend him and in talks to extend him, uh, 125k a week, uh, sounds, uh, is the reported price. Sounds great. Uh, hopefully lock him down for five, hopefully six years, uh, on the next deal. And cause I mean, He's got to be the corner piece. He's like a borderline generational talent uh, that uh, should be the front runner for young player of the year this season, I I would assume. Uh, But Foden might get it just because he plays for Man City, uh, which would be unfortunate. But uh, just such a good player. I don't think there's enough good things in the world you can say about Bukayo Saka. Let's just uh, run through. Uh, Match of the day came up with some stats on their rather large screen. Uh, touches in the opposition box, 11. He came first in the ranking for that match. Shots, three. He was first. Passes in the final third. He was second. And fouls, one. Uh, he was second in that. What did you make of the Tyrone Mings fail foul on him? 
Uh, yeah, that was uh, yellow card for I, 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 Yeah, I'm not a fan of Tyrone Mings. I don't think he's very good. I think he's very clumsy. Uh, I think the only reason he makes the England squad is because he's left-footed. If he wasn't, he'd be nowhere near it. I don't think he'd be in the Premier League if he was if he was not left-footed. Like he's just not a very good center back. Uh, it was kind of a wild challenge to come in on Saka. Uh, he could have hurt him very badly. I might be wrong here, Mitch, but didn't he kick Lacazette in the head uh, when we played last time out? He's kind of a dirty, rough house, shit housery person, isn't he? Very possible. I, I don't remember, so I, I, you can't like quote me on it, but I, I don't remember. But I'm not a fan of his whatsoever. Um, a bit of a wild challenge. I, I think there was definitely uh, a, a say for that to be a red card. I think there. It's so tough because I like red cards can be so harsh uh, for for certain plays where it's like that play was like. He doesn't directly hit Saka, uh, so it's for sure worthy of a card. What? It was the follow through. It wasn't. Uh, yeah, he he got the ball. No argument. Yeah, with that. I think it's more of like it's one of those like orange card situations where like it's hard to argue either way. Uh, it, where it's like right in the middle of like you can very easily make the argument for that big yellow card. You can very easily make the argument for that big red. Um, a lot of that comes down to what team you're watching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, Xhaka got his standard yellow card. You have to bear with me because the kids have taken all the uh, the notes away. I'm having to do it via phone now. <laughs> <laughs> the little mites. Xhaka got his standard yellow card for a professional shithousery. But uh, did you see the McGinn shove on Lacazette? There was nothing said about it. He gave him a full old shove. When it all yeah. off with the Saka uh, incident. Yeah, it was like a full shove. And I mean, there was it just wasn't seen. Um, so, you know, some of those things just go into the radar. Uh, sometimes Jaka will commit three ghost fouls and get a yellow card for it. Because he had committed on one. At VAR. <laughs> yeah, like uh, yeah, Jaka's yellow card was for accumulation of fouls. And that was his first foul of the game. Uh, and it's just ridiculous the way that the like preconceived bias that particularly Jaka has uh, is, is, is really, really annoying to see. The one thing that we can kind of take as, as nice though, as fans is uh, there's actually less of a chance Jaka gets sent off when he's on a yellow card. He's actually never gotten a second yellow in his Arsenal career. He, he, he cuts out the second, doesn't he? he just goes straight. Yeah. It's the red. Yeah. Leave anyone in any doubt. Um, yeah. Let's get on to when Pepe lost his head. He bundled over Louise, which was quite interesting at the death. Uh, Leno saved. Uh, let's give that guy some credit. Come on. He spent about seven right. months on the sidelines. What I loved about it, yes, it was exciting. It was last minute thing. Um, great save, by the way. Uh, but it was the way the players got round him uh, as the whistle went. I mean, it really does show that spirit that they've been nurturing and Arteta's instilled in these players uh, is lovely to watch. Yeah. I, I, I mean, there's a lot to uh, cover there, but like, it, this is just like a different, there's just such an energy around this team right now. Uh, there's so much like excitement when it comes like with the fans at the matches and the players that like have this togetherness. Like you even saw like Ramsdale just like hugging Leno after that. And like, that's so like it's so cool to see to the this team with like 
this sense of togetherness uh, making this push for top four. This is a very young squad uh, with just making a very, very nice run. And uh, it's very cool to see them on this kind of level together. Uh, in regards to Pepe, he and Nketiah were both awful when they came on. They were horrendous. Uh, and I think that's just kind of like the biggest frustration with Pepe is just like sometimes you get his performance when he comes on against Wolves and like we don't win the game without Pepe because he was phenomenal in that match uh, as a sub. And then he almost cost us against Aston Villa because he made a dumb foul when he very much didn't need to. He wasn't the last man. Cedric was like right there. Um, made a dumb it foul. Wasn't even a foul, was it? He just tried to run through his backside. He just sort of clumped him, elbowed him, tripped him. It was messy. It, it was, a it was striker's it, attempt. It was not a good performance from Nicholas Pepe. Not a good cameo at all. Um, hopefully, when he comes on again, he'll be better. But like, just not the performance you want when you're kind of fighting for your Arsenal career right now. Because I, I, at this point, I think it's very, very likely we sell him in the summer. Uh, and look for someone else to kind of take that that backup right wing role behind Saka. It's a shame because I, I I still think there's a player in there, but we just can't get him to. Sometimes he runs off without the ball. I mean, sometimes he he shows real purpose and he cuts in all the rest of it for his trademark goal. But it's it's and he he does a lot of work as well. I've noticed that he'll track back. He will do a lot of work. Apart He's improved a lot in that regard. Uh, for sure. I, I think the biggest thing is, is he just doesn't fit in the system. He's just not, he's just not a progression, uh, a, a possession based player. Uh, it works better when he play off the last man as a winger and play in more of a counterattacking role, uh, when he can run into space. Uh, that's not really how we've operated for a while. Uh, Do you think so he's he a bit just... of a lone ranger as well, Mitch? Because when you've got, uh, Odegaard and Saka, they're on the same page, aren't they? They're, they're, they're well, I, th- I think it's more so that, He's just uh, like he he can't operate well on his own is the thing. Like he uh, when he's been asked to do what Saka has been asked to do in the past of like facilitate the entire right side by himself with like no overlap from a fullback. uh, He's not been very effective because he just doesn't have anywhere to go. If he has a fullback running in behind him, that opens up a little bit of space. Uh, Having the defender follow the fullback, he's able to drive into that that kind of like area. But, like, by himself, he doesn't have that. And he's obviously just not on the same level uh, that, like, Saka is with Odegaard. Um, You know, that just comes with playing together more. But I I think it's unfortunate for Pepe, but I I think he just does not fit into the system. He's a very one-fitted player. He's not a player you spend $70 on, unfortunately. Uh, It's unfortunate to say that that the signing just never really worked out. Um, which well, is uh, a tough thing to Brown, say. Didn't it? it worked out for yeah. Brown. He's, he's living well, the highlight he, now. He lost his job about it. So, like, much. It's, it's uh, the unsaid thing, isn't it? I, I, th- I think that there's, like, Arteta's known for a long time that Pepe doesn't really fit into this, like, how he wants to play. Uh, there's a reason that Willian started over him for, for such a long time, and it's, like, Arteta really wanted Willian to be that. Willian obviously wasn't. He was atrocious as well. Uh, but like we've seen sparks of what Pepe could have been, Some and it's frustrating. Polish, can you? <laughs> yeah, it, it's frustrating. It's frustrating that Pepe never uh, turned out, which is tough to say about a record signing. Uh, but you know, it's a completely new group of people that are in after after that uh, signing. 
So I, I'd say we move on from him in the summer, find uh, a younger right wing that we can uh, bring in and uh, to deputize for Saka when, when necessary. Uh, but unfortunate that Pepe uh, had such a terrible performance. Um, we got slagged off again. Uh, this time it was by Ashley Young. And then uh, Gabby Abonglahor regarding over-celebrating. What is the trend at the minute? How can you over-celebrate? We've covered it before, but we do it again. Yeah, I, I don't think that there's any issue uh, with what we're doing. We're not popping champagne bottles. Like, it's just, I think it kind of goes along with, like, the spirit this team is showing, where it's just, like, this togetherness with the fans. And, like, Leno hasn't played in a long time. He made a really nice save to end the game. His teammates getting around him, celebrating. Like, this is this isn't, like like this like champions league winning side that needs to be serious at all times. Uh, I, I think I've seen, I've seen some really, really interesting things from uh, I, I think Liverpool fans are really interesting in this regard of like, I think they understand our process really well because they saw it. This is what they went through when Klopp came in. Uh, they had tough times. They had a really tough squad uh, and they, they had this slow transition. Like you have these, the, these pictures of like this Liverpool team, like, hand in hand, like celebrating a two, two draw with West Brom. And like, it's the same thing. Like it's this, uh, that's what made Liverpool fans love Jurgen Klopp is him celebrating every single thing that Liverpool got, anything that they, they could get. Um, and it was this, this slow and gradual pro- process. I think Liverpool fans see it from the, that Arsenal fans, uh, why we, there's so much to be excited about, why the players have so much to be excited about. Uh, it's a tough away game uh, against a good team. What, there, I was listening to the TIFO uh, football podcast earlier, and they were kind of talking about this. And it's like, would you rather this team be like, oh, well, we expected to beat them, so we're not even going to bother celebrating. Like, what do you what do you want, Ashley Young? Like, what do you want this to be? Uh, so, I there's there's no reason to get on fans or players for for celebrating wins. Uh, there's no given wins in the Premier League anymore. That that's not a thing. Uh, every win is fought, uh, and when you when every point matters in this race for top four, uh, because Spurs are, are kicking into gear a little bit, uh, and and we we don't want to fall. We don't want to drop points when we shouldn't. Uh, when we get a, a a really good away win with this young team, we absolutely should celebrate. We should absolutely be happy about it. Um, there's no reason to not be, and it's a sport. Let people have fun. Like these are grown men that get to play a game for a living. They aren't allowed to have fun. Like Gary Neville got on a bunch of uh, Manchester United players for like traveling during their break and like going to F1, uh, going to the F1 race. And it's like, why are you going to get on players for that? Do you want to just brood in their house after a loss? Like these are human beings who play a, a game for a living. Like let people have fun. It makes no sense to be like policing people's fun um, other than just like being mad that we're winning. Yeah. It, I'll tell you it, what, Mitch, stupid. if you had seen me when I was playing football, I scored. And by the time he, he, he blew the final whistle, I was still running up and down celebrating. So uh, they've got nothing on me. Um, <laughs> and great scenes as well. Afterwards, they all stayed behind, didn't they, to celebrate uh, the fans. And it was phenomenal. Uh, did you notice that Saka took his shirt off and give it to some young lad who had a, 
a little sign up saying, Saka, I need your shirt or I'd like your shirt or whatever. But that's again, uh, we'll come on to something else in, in a little while about the spirit of these Arsenal players, uh, the way they're linking with the fans and the fans are linking with the players. Absolutely brilliant. Um, so who was your man of the match for us? Uh, I think Thomas Party. Uh, is a good, a very good option. He, he controlled the match really well. Uh, I think, I think Sky gave it to Saka. Um, and that's completely fair. He was really, really effective. Uh, but I think Jaka and Party were, were probably the two best players in the match. Um, yeah, I mean, just like, like I was saying earlier, this midfield is just clicking really, really nicely and it's controlling the entire tempo. Um, and it's really key to controlling games. And that's why we're controlling games. So uh, Party and Jaka, one or the other, is my man of the match. There's so much to Party's game now as well. I mean, you know, uh, going in reverse and getting a foot in to get the ball back, starting up the moves, blocking off the space, uh, uh, getting the ball forward, and some really nice quality balls forward as well. Um, big fan. Very impressed by him. Uh, yeah. I know he's had his knockers in the past, but... Uh, no, he's, he, he was the man of the match for me, that's for sure. Um, right, should we get on to uh, some transfer rumours? Uh, yep. Six words or less. Uh, who we got now? Uh, Cody Gakpo, 22, PSV Eindhoven. Heard of him? No, I haven't. Uh, uh, so need more research. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, get on it after the pod. 16 goals, 15 assists in all competition. Uh, strong, athletic, agile, pacey. I've been looking him up. I should have sent you a, a link, shouldn't I, really? We'll do that next time. Uh, <laughs> goals from inside and outside the box, an instinctive striker. I put down yeah. here for my six words or less. Looks useful. I think go that's mad. Good. <laughs> yeah, see, that's how you know this pod is live. Is uh, He wouldn't make me look like an idiot if we had scripted this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I just know you're a man of the people. You're a man of the world. You're, you're putting your feelers out. You're into all this football. Uh, I, I nice unfortunately haven't caught a lot of PSV games lately. <laughs> well, me neither, but I, I went on uh, YouTube and looked him up. Yeah. Uh, right, the next one is uh, Victor Os- Osimhen. Uh, uh, yeah. Napoli. For Napoli. Uh, would be fantastic. Great. See, I've got you one. I've got you one. Yeah. You about? <laughs> uh, I, I think the biggest thing is like Napoli bought him for like 80 million a couple of years ago. So he would be far from cheap. Um, but really, really good player. Uh, really strong player. Really good finisher. Um, he'd be a fantastic signing. Yeah, I've got here uh, in the notes there. Great header of the ball. Strong, full of tricks, athletic. Uh, my six words or less were preferred option. Out of the two. Um, we've got some emails. Uh, Gary says, how many players does Arteta need to bring in in the summer? We're going to let you know, Gaz. Mitch? Uh, I Tell think, like, I think minimum two. Uh, it, like, we bring in, like, a premier striker and uh, a central midfielder. That I think that's assuming we, like, hold on to a lot of players. But I think we have, we're going to have a decent amount of outgoings for the summer. Uh, I think the the biggest two are obviously central midfield and striker, uh, but then also backup right back is a uh, big hole as well. I think Cedric's deputized pretty well, but I don't, I'm not a fan of him long term in that position. Uh, and then a backup right winger uh, behind Saka uh, when I think we'll sell Pepe in the summer. 
because yeah, so if we don't four. back up Sacco, he's, he's going to suffer burnout, isn't he? He can't play all those yeah. games, especially if we get to Europe. Um, Sarah is uh, sent us an email. Sarah's email has just completely disappeared. Um, so we won't be able to do that one. Um, <laughs> Robo Bob says, uh, basically, he's back on the on the podcast again. Um, he said, uh, do we risk the, the chance of losing ESR if he doesn't get more games over the next sort of season or so? No. Uh, we, we've had some wild ESR takes in, in the emails the last couple of weeks. And like him not playing is is far from like a bad thing it's more so but just been like unluckiness with him with injuries and covid and then martinelli's played well like i think that's that's just like the biggest thing like he he's not a player that's going to be like demanding he like to leave if he doesn't like play a certain amount of minutes he's played a lot of minutes for us this season still a young player we've got a different young player that's very exciting and offers other things at the same position uh, and he's come in, uh, in that finisher role and been really good when he's, when he's been given those opportunities. Uh, he can play in a variety of positions. Uh, he will play in a variety of position for us. Uh, I don't think we are talking about losing ESR because of lack of playing time. I think the more likely option in the, in the chance that we lose ESR is, uh, a team coming in to buy him, just like giving us a lot of money. Uh, but even then, he just signed a new deal. He just got the number 10 shirt. He's having a great season. I think people forget that he's like still our highest scorer. Uh, like he still has the most goals for us this season. Um, so yeah, I don't think there's any reason to, uh, worry about losing Smith Rowe for playtime. I don't think he's been benched. I think he, uh, Martinelli's stepped up well in that position, uh, when Smith Rowe has been hurt or sick. And, uh, Smith Rowe's played well when he's, Come back in. So uh, we've got two very talent. We we have four talented players for three positions when it comes to uh, Odegaard, Smithrow, Marnelli, and Saka. So uh, to have rotation, have options. That's what we want. That's what we, we want to be. Like Liverpool has five really good players for three positions, and they aren't talking about like oh, but like uh, Mane is not getting enough minutes now, and like he might like. Yeah, uh, this is how it works. Like you, if you're team, you're like a really good team, you need really good depth. You need to have, you can't just like, all right, we have Kevin De Bruyne. We don't need anyone else who plays that position because we only need Kevin De Bruyne. You need players because he's not going to be in every, every single match. Uh, so yeah, no reason to be worried about Smith or Rose playtime by any means. Right. Another one that I found on social media, I can't, I can't give you the exact information because the phone's just died as well. So that's Andy. Um, but there was, um, a bit of a kooky one from James and it was, uh, one of these ones where it's, uh, accusational and it was saying, uh, whose fault is it basically that this season, uh, has drifted off slightly, uh, which I didn't really understand because it's, you know, who would have thought we'd be in fourth, but he was going for a list of names, uh, who's let the side down, Xhaka, holding Cedric uh, or some other person. And I just sent him a message saying, what about Aubameyang? Aubameyang wasn't playing and firing because the two, uh, the manager and the club and the player weren't connecting and he had that drought. So if we're not that I want to blame players for uh, sort of lulls or anything in form, but uh, to pick out players, Cedric, how can you blame Cedric for anything? He hasn't had a game. He's not had a sniff. Yeah, I, 
I don't some of these some of these email questions, Tom. <laughs> well, that, that's, off, uh, that's off social media. I picked it off because okay. I thought, you know, what, what planet are you on? Why are you yeah. looking to blame I, someone when we're actually sitting in fourth position with a chance? Some people just like being Champions negative. Uh, yeah, because like Jacques has been great, Holding's been great every time he's played. Like, there's no reason to just like just decide that we're bad, even though like there's nothing that backs up your argument. Scapegoat. Um, some people just like want an excuse to be angry. Um, like Piers Morgan, who's like bringing up Aubameyang every time he scores. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't give a lot of thought to that kind of take. It's it's dumb. That's that's my take. Is that that's I think, dumb? I think Ali McCoy's came out with a really good one on Squawk Sport. He said that basically uh, there was that problem between the club uh, manager and the player, and now you should be whatever side of the fence you're sitting on. If you're an Aubameyang fan, you should be absolutely made up. The man's on fire. He's doing really well. And Arsenal are doing really well. What's the issue? I'm really happy as an Arsenal fan who loves Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. I'm so happy that Arsenal got rid of him, got rid of his contract, got rid of any distractions that he's causing. Uh, And Aubameyang is going to a situation where he's playing great. And Arsenal's playing great. This is great for both teams. Well, for let's both be honest, sides. Mitch. There are, there are a lot of teams over there that are tire fitters and welders, aren't there? And fruit and veg <laughs> salesmen. Uh, they're not all like uh, Real Madrid or anything, are they? Well, he did score two against Real Madrid, so he's not slacking. Yeah, I'm off <laughs> with that one. Let's talk about um, Gabby Martinelli. Uh, yep. I, I think we haven't spoken about him enough because he gets slightly overshadowed because it's been the Odegaard show, isn't it, really? Or the Saka show. Uh, yeah. we're, we're gradually introducing Thomas Party. Come in, Thomas. Come into the fold. But uh, we'll talk about Gabby Martinelli. Uh, basically, what does he bring for you uh, in his performances? Uh, he brings that killer instinct. I think it's. I think that's one of the biggest things for him. Uh, I think it's something you you want to see out of a striker, which is, uh, I think, a, a, one of the many reasons that a lot of people are calling to see ESR. Uh, or, or sorry see Martinelli play that number nine role. Um, and so, you know, he has that killer instinct. He has those runs toward the box, but he's just got that just like an excellent technical quality of like every single goal that Gabriel Martinelli has scored has been just like so good. Everything, every single one, um, like just really nice volleys, really nice solo runs, uh, like, uh, his performance against Leeds this season stand out to me a lot. He scored a brace in that match. Uh, he played a little bit like a striker uh, in that inside forward in that left half space. Uh, Xhaka had a really, really nice ball into him uh, for, I don't remember who was the first or the second goal, uh, but he made a run in and then just had like a really, really nice finish. Um, and then another one where he chipped the keeper. Uh, so he, he's really, really good at playing off the last man uh, when he's played in. I think if we had a more creative player, like Jaka clearly showed in that match that he can play those balls through. But like we have like a more creative player in that left left eight. Uh I think Gabby would really flourish in the same way that we've seen Saka flourish on the right side with with uh Odegaard kind of in tandem with him. Um so just a really special player. I I Jurgen Klopp does not waste a moment to praise Gabriel Martinelli every time we play Liverpool. Uh and uh, you know, which is like a good sentiment, like, thanks, Jurgen, but like, stay away. 
please stop praising Saka and Martinelli because no, you can't have them. Um, well, he had and, his arm around Saka, didn't he? Giving him the old yeah. lovely cuddle. Like a couple of weeks after like a rumor that they were interested in Saka, and I was like, oh, I love that. <laughs> like, uh, I, don't but, I don't think they're going anywhere. No, I don't think so either. Uh, Martinelli said he'll play for the club in, in, for the rest of his career, uh, which is always nice to hear as a fan. Uh, and it'll be crushing if he does leave. Uh, and, uh, he's just a special player. He's, he's got so much room to grow. I, I, I have no idea, uh, where his future holds, uh, in his role. Uh, I think that'll be an interesting development to see as, as time goes on. Uh, because he definitely has parts to his game that would be way, way better as a forward, uh, as a striker. Uh, and there's definitely parts of his game that I think suits, uh, in that wide role a lot better. Uh, so I, I think it'll be interesting to see what direction he goes. Uh, but Mitch, would you be tempted to give him a bit of artistic license and let him do that roaming thing that uh, Thierry Henry was so good at? You know, Thierry Henry, sometimes you find him right, sometimes you find him left, sometimes he'd just go through the middle. Yeah, I think it would be an interesting role. I, I don't know if it um, necessarily fits, like... Uh, just like the tactical shape that we want because of the defensive responsibilities that's kind of being asked of the higher wing players. Uh, like Martinelli's being asked to track back uh, for the left or for the right back. And um, so I don't think it, it, I think it would cause a lot of uh, some more structural issues defensively if he was able to drift out right uh, or drift through the center. I, th- I think he does have some free reign when it comes to, uh, drifting out wide, uh, to the, um, to the end line or, or drifting into that half space, uh, because he has the, that kind of like killer instinct to run into the box onto the ball, uh, that Lacazette doesn't. Uh, like if, if, uh, against Liverpool and that play where he nutmegs Henderson gets the line, puts in a ball in, if, Mar- if a different Martinelli was running into the box, we score a goal there. If, if it was two Martinelli's in that play, I think we score a goal. Uh, so, I mean, just a really, really special player. That's a novel idea. Let's have that. <laughs> um, right. Let's, let's get to, uh, I just want to add that, uh, Martinelli for me, uh, it's just another one, not, not, uh, scared of anything, very direct. And, uh, he loves taking on people, doesn't he? But he's got a mm. fabulous touch. Uh, it's, I'm, I'm going to get slagged off for this, but when he brings the ball down, it's Bergkamp-esque. And we're going to mm, talk about... High praise. Degree. High uh, praise. Yeah, he's not Dennis. He's not Dennis. You've but compared him way, to Bergkamp and Henri within five minutes. That's something right there. He's got some qualities, <laughs> but he's not there yet. Let's talk about the two, uh, the biggest goals for me that he's had. Uh, the one against Chelsea. And yeah. then we'll let you run off uh, the one against Newcastle, which is my favorite Martinelli goal. So let's do yeah. the Chelsea one first, Mitch. Uh, I think the Chelsea one was just like, I think that was like the Gabriel Martinelli arrival goal. Uh, like it was his first season. Uh, great assist by by Willian, uh, Arsenal legend, um, by whipping in that, that Chelsea cross. Uh, well, I think this is like showing my Why healing. I just refer. <laughs> I, I think it's showing my healing, but I can joke about Willian now. Uh, I think that I, I'm past the pain of of <laughs> Willian. Um, but like, really great. I mean, he has a little bit of luck with Conte slipping, but just like such a composed a composed run 
to go all that way. And instead of just like being gassed, like just a common composed slot into that corner. And really like for that game state, uh, I mean, Louise has been sent off uh, down to 10 men uh, and to be able to, to get the two, two in that match was uh, really, really impressive. I remember, I vividly remember watching that in my college's student union, uh, just like a bunch of people huddle around a TV and we're like, holy shit, what is going on? This is incredible. Um, and it was like during a time in which I had kind of like stopped paying attention, like as much to Arsenal, like the, the end of Emery and like beginning of Arteta, I, I kind of like had like lost this like interest of like, oh, I'm going to wake up early for every single Arsenal game kind of thing. Uh, because the end of the Emery era was just so tough. Um, but that, that Martinelli goal was really, really fun to watch and just such an impressive goal for someone that young and like first season in the Premier League. Uh, just so, so good. Uh, go to the Newcastle one then. What do you remember about that? Tommy Asu on the right. Yeah. So I, I mean, I just, I rewatched it prior to this pod. And so that means I rewatched it like eight times, uh, because I, I think, I think probably one of my favorite parts about the goal is, the commentary, I think it's one of those goals. It's like one of those sports moments where I think like the commentary that goes with it has to be attached to it because it just makes it like so much better. Like that goal, if you watch it on silent, it's like, holy shit, that was a great goal. But if you watch it with the commentary, I don't know who the like the, the play-by-play commentator was because it, he it's just like Tomiyasu puts the ball over to Martinelli and it's <laughs> gorgeous. And it's just like that kind of like that commentary just like, it has me beaming every single time. Uh, I'll tell you I what, though, that that's, that's such a difficult ball, isn't it? Because he's yes. it's, it's kind of looping over. Uh, yeah. It's coming in fast. Uh, there's Martin the timing got of on, run, the balance, uh, and, yeah. and controlling it. Yeah. Martinelli got subbed on in the right wing that match, uh, which is not a position we've seen him play very much. Uh, and to see him kind of just like make this just instinct run and Tomiyasu puts this ball over and he can just look back and then get the timing right to, to hit it over to Bravka's head is just so impressive. He makes it look so easy. He makes it look like, like you could run out there right now and totally do that. But that's one of the most difficultly, uh, difficult technical goals I've ever seen. And I don't think it gets talked about enough. That should be a goal that I see on Twitter every single week. Every single week, someone should be like, hey, you guys remember this goal that Martinelli scored? Pretty great, right? Um, because, like, it was insane. Like, it should be the goal. If it's not goal of the season, the end of the year, I'm going to riot uh, because that is my favorite <laughs> On goal. On your own. I love it. I, yes, I will go to the Emirates with a picket sign and be like, Martinelli uh, gets Newcastle, should have won goal of the season. Uh, you know what? When they when they put it. these uh, <laughs> compilations of goals, you'll always you'll always see um, you know the Meza Ozil goal against Ludogorets. You'll always see the Burkamp goal uh, against Newcastle. You will always see maybe the Scorpion goal by uh, Giroud, oh, by Giroud against yeah. Palace. Um, uh, Omri against Spurs. Um, that has got to be in there because. It doesn't matter, does it, about, uh, you know, eras and all that sort of thing. That would slot quite nicely in with all these top, top Arsenal goals. And I've got to be honest. That, that looks like a goal that, like, Bergkamp or, uh, or Henri would score. 
just like oh, an insane technical building him quality. Up. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy done, isn't it? I'll, I'll jump on the train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's um he's a phenomenal player and I, I think we've we've really not seen the best of him yet. He's he's just getting yeah. his feet wet. I think we've got yeah, a lot sure. more to come. Um Mitch, we're run out of time. Uh thanks ever so much for joining the gun room again and we'll see you on the next one. What are you up to? Anything much in the uh international break? Uh no, I uh I will probably be continuing to uh to write on my twitter account at uh mitch the otter if uh anyone wants to follow me on there uh and then i'll be uh hoping the u.s beats uh mexico in uh world cup qualifiers right um i was going to say something to you then i forgot what it is now uh kind of been that important can it um (laughs) it's probably uh what i'll do is i'll set you up again next time and i'll I'll throw in some bogus player that uh, doesn't even exist Great, great, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, oh, he's such a good finisher. It's like, oh, I got you. <laughs> but Flem from Argentina. <laughs> All right, mate, thanks very much. Yeah, thanks again. See you soon. Right then, it's time for a musical interlude. Have a listen to this. tell you what Herr Leno was sharp he was here he was there he was everywhere he was like a cat I think that's worth a really bad jingle Leno the cat Leno the cat the palms of his hands are incredibly flat whether he dives down this way or that they can't get the ball of Leno the cat it's an Arsenal thing podcast fun football and conversation Talk sport goddess Laura Woods, the only reason to listen to the station, tore former Villa player Gabby Abonglahor a new one after he joined the anti-celebration bandwagon. Arsenal had already been criticised by former United failure Ashley Young. Have a listen, it's not long, but it's unmissable for an Arsenal fan. So Gabby Abonglahor has um, um, spiked my attention this Mm. weekend, just gone. Um, This is Arsenal's win over Aston Villa. Um, Obviously... Gabby being an Aston Villa legend, but also I thought had a bit of a soft spot for Arsenal, but maybe not. Um, this is how it sounded. Well, the way they celebrated um, at the end of the game is like they'd won the Champions League, <laughs> qualified for it. I, I know That's it was just a, sour a, great. I, I know it was a great result, but the, the the scene, some of the players, and you know we were right behind the fans. It was like they'd won the league, not beating Aston Villa, a team that they should be beating. So um, I think they overdone the celebrations, Arsenal. Okay, there we go. So basically, we went a bit early on Gabby Ogbonnahor, but um, let me just enlighten you on the situation with Gabby Ogbonnahor. So he thinks that Arsenal celebrating um, against Aston Villa for that win was was an over-celebration. Um, but here's the thing that, that I think in, in response to that. Um, Arsenal are chasing top four at the moment, and this is a club that's been labelled banter FC all season by Jamie O'Hara by the way um, they were bottom of the league at one point um, they have a raft of, of new players that are still bedding in really they had the youngest 
squad in the league. They have the youngest manager in the league as well with no previous experience on his own. Um, Vinay Venkatesh, who's the CEO of Arsenal, I worked with him last week and asked him about the trajectory of Arsenal and he said they're ahead of schedule. Um, so that kind of backs up in, in my mind where the club think they are and where they actually are realistically at the moment or where they are um, where they want to be so they are ahead of schedule essentially they're, they're banging on the door for top four and that win put a great bit of distance between them and Spurs of course until Spurs beat yes, West Ham at the yeah. weekend but yeah. there is still space between them um, this is a club at the beginning of the season nobody would have given them a shot at top four nobody at all everybody written them off including myself as an Arsenal fan and I actually wouldn't accept it for a very long part of the season I just didn't think that, that they necessarily had it in them I thought that the teams around them had strengthened too much had too much quality and, and far better resources to allow Arsenal in in that way um, it's, a, it's a club and a fan base as well that I think for large sways of the last four or five years maybe even six years since we dropped out the Champions League have been quite divided and now they look like a club that are much more unified. If you're not allowed to celebrate your wins, however big or however small <coughs> they are, what's the point in going to football? If you're not allowed to celebrate a goal in a game that you might lose, just in case you lose it, if you're not allowed to celebrate in a win in a season that you're going to top four, you may, you might not. Should we just wait until the end of the 38-game season and then celebrate where we are in the league? It doesn't really work like that. They had, they had a clean sheet as well against the team. Aston Villa aren't mugs and they've significantly invested in their own right so it's not like you're saying that we're, we're playing against a team that are bottom of the league or something like that Aston Villa are a good side it's a, a side that we want to beat and that we have a little bit of history with as well by the way um, it's a clean sheet in a, in a defence that's been called calamitous that we've now strengthened that's gone well so you have to applaud that too that defence has really pulled together and improved um, just stop penalising people for celebrating at Gabby it's not it's football at the end of the day um, you have to be able to celebrate you have to be able to go to a game and I love that they celebrated that's what Arsenal's all about now is that unified presence but Gabby Agbonho listen don't don't listen to me don't listen to my own argument listen to your own argument it's positive for Aston Villa and what you want to see is that passion yeah, on the side we were talking about Oli earlier like just the passion from Gerard on the sideline for the whole game interacting with the fans during the game he celebrated for the goal was like you know, you'd want to cut Score final. a last-minute winner for yeah, Liverpool yeah. in the FA Cup no, final. That, yeah. That's what fans want to see. That's what fans want to see, Gabby, isn't it? People celebrating anything in the league. It doesn't matter whether you've just won the league or you've just won a single game. Fans want to see celebrations. So well done, Gabby Ogbonnaho, for undoing your own argument before you'd even made it. You just got owned, you noob. You just got owned, motherfucker. You just got, you just got, you just got owned. You just got owned, you noob. You just got owned, motherfucker. You just got, you just got, you just got owned. As promised earlier, we uh, we bring you Gabby Martinelli. He's not a singer, he's a striker. Remember that. He's singing his own chant. Grip onto something tight. He comes from São Paulo and he plays for the Arsenal. Oh, but it's not as bad as this next one. It's an Arsenal fan who decided to show his appreciation for Mikel Arteta in the form of a song. <laughs> it's a shocker. Do you know Mikel Arteta should stay at Arsenal? I feel we should trust this process. So stop acting like a little kid. Because I want Arteta to stay all this time 
Because we have to dig deep in this window to sell all this dross I want a tatter to stay, stay, stay I want a tatter to stay, stay, stay That's it, we're all done here. Thanks to the podcasters known as Silent Dave. You can find him on Twitter, SilentDave101. Jay is also there as the Bull Gooner. You can find Mitch as Mitch Piotr. Don't forget to check out his blogs at The Arse Review. Shout-outs to Brandon Murphy and all the folks at arsedevils.com. Don't forget to check us out on Facebook and Twitter. Like and follow the audio version and subscribe to the YouTube version of the show. Missing Isaiah and American Arsenology? Well, you don't have to. Look him up on Twitter. A Arsenology for 30 minutes or less match reviews delivered with a combination of quirk and music. Thanks to you once again for your continuing support. Please like and follow the podcast, whether you look or listen. And finally, remember one thing. North London is most certainly red.
Paz, 